0: Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Perspective is really an incredible thing. It has a way of making small things seem really big. But at the same time, it has a way of making really big things, giant things, infinite things, seem really small. It has a way of helping us see the way things appear. But at the same time, it has a way of hindering us from seeing the way things appear. And it all depends on our perspective. A.W. Tozer wrote in this book, The Knowledge of the Holy, what comes into our minds when we think about God It is the most important thing about us. And you see, our perspective of God will determine how we respond to Him. But what makes our perspective so precarious is it has the capacity to make this infinite, awesome God so small. And I can tell you for sure that The people around your life can see your perspective of God just by the way you live your life. And I believe A.W. Tozer was right when he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You see, it's your perspective of God that will enable you to live a life of faith, or it's your perspective of God that will enclose you to living a life that's controlled by fear. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. It's fear and faith. How a right perspective of God will bring this beautiful life of faith and how a wrong perspective of God will, will cause us to shrink back in fear. And if you're a note taker, this will be the thesis of this whole sermon. So if you don't take anything else other than this, take this. Our perspective of God will cause us to live a life of fear or faith. We may have the same experience, but we have different perspectives. So we're going to do this by unpacking Numbers chapter 13 and 14. The fourth book of the Bible. And what we have here is we have this this picture of Moses and the people of God in Kadesh Barnea. It's a place that's on the brink of the promised land. And it's in this place, Kadesh Barnea, that the people of God have a choice. Either they can move forward in faith or they can shrink back in fear. And I I believe that that God will often call us to situations that seem impossible, where He greatly stacks the odds against us so that we have the opportunity to exercise real, tangible faith, where our intellectual assent. God, basically meets concrete faith. Where we have a moment to choose between fear and faith. And we can see from across the pages of scripture where God brings his people time and time and time again to a place where they're desperate for him to move. Where they have an opportunity to walk by faith or to shrink by fear. And then on the other hand, when, when we do shrink back in fear, not only does it not give God glory, but it really reveals our perspective of God, despite what we may say or feel about god but even beyond even beyond fear and faith, unfortunately, oftentimes in our day we 've built this religion right that that doesn 't require much faith and this is the way I want to illustrate this to you. We have constructed this this well insulated box that that doesn't require moving out in faith. And it becomes this this place of of lifeless routine and that there's there's no fruit being produced in this little safe box that we've jam-packed this infinite God into. And in consequence, we've created a God that doesn't even resemble, remotely resemble the God across Scripture. So I want to share a couple of stories with you guys today um, so that you can kind of sink your teeth into what is fear and faith in our own lives. And then we're going to reinforce this through our text today, Numbers 13 and 14. So we'll eventually get there. But I'm going to give you a couple of stories from my own life where I've chosen faith over fear, and then I've chosen fear over faith. When I first came to God, actually in this very cafeteria building, um, came to know the glory of God, the same place they still sloppy Joes and, and Tater Tots. But I felt the presence of God very strong every day in my life. And I just had this overwhelming, consuming sense that, that, that God wanted to always expand his perspective of himself. And he wanted to bring me to this place where I had the opportunity time and time again to step out in faith. So here's the first story I'll share with you. It's not even that great. But uh, I, was, um, I was in North Carolina. I was on the Outer Banks. I was surfing. Can't really surf. Uh, the waves were junk and it was just me out there all by myself. And it's a long beach line and I could see this guy, this super far away walking. It's just me and him out the Outer Banks. There's some pretty remote places out there. And I'm thinking to myself, what is this guy doing here? And As he's getting closer and closer, I just felt God calling me, go talk to this guy. Go talk to this guy. And I knew that God was calling me because I'm an extreme introvert. I'm not ever going to go paddle out of the water just to talk to somebody. And as he got closer and closer and closer, my heart was beating and beating and beating because I was about to enter in this conversation with this guy. And I allowed fear to overcome me, and he just kept on going. And then I remember I started praying really hard. I said, like, God, bring him back. Bring him back. Bring him back. Bring him back. And I'm telling you, he was a silhouette on the beach, and he started turning around. He starts coming back. At this point, I am tripping out. I'm like, no, you're so faithful. And uh, so he's coming back. He's walking down the beach. And so I'm just, this is going to be awkward. I don't know what I'm going to say to this guy. He's got dreadlocks. And he looks He looks gnarly. So I just kind of paddle in, just kind of time it just right. No offense to anybody has dreadlocks out there. They're gnarly in a good way. But uh, so I, I paddle in, and I, I come right, you know, where he is. And I didn't know what to say. I just said, I just wanted to tell you that God loves you. And he, he stared at me for like three seconds. And three seconds is like eternity when you say something to somebody, right? He's staring at me. I was <laughs> like, this guy's going to punch me. Right here on the beach in my wetsuit. And uh, he said, he said, that's weird because I'm a Christian. I was like, no way. And then we just, we literally walked down the beach for the next 15 minutes talking about faith and how he was struggling with depression and how God had brought me along to give him a word of encouragement. And I left that place absolutely electrified because I knew that God had done something there. But it required me To step out in faith. You see, God was bringing me in on a situation that He had already prepared. A situation that I could step forward in faith. And He simply invited me into something that He was already doing. But He required me to overcome the fear and step out in faith. Now, on the other hand, let's share a negative story. I recall a moment later in life when I knew a lot more about Jesus... And the Bible, actually, Lewin knew a lot about Jesus and the Bible at this point. This is a little bit later, and I was at this, um, I was at this gym locker room, right? And there were a couple of huge guys in there, like they were gigantic. They were obviously on steroids, and their calves were like the size of my body. Like I'm not kidding you. I'm like looking at those things. I was like, I was like on this, you know, trying to get my own calves big in the gym, and I was like, what is that? That's that's not natural. And, uh, man, they were, they were just like bashing Christianity, faith. They were absolutely tearing it apart. And I knew that God had brought me to this, to this moment to simply step out in faith and identify with this person they're bashing, bashing, excuse me, named Jesus. And there's moments in your life where you don't want to throw your pearls before a swine, but I knew that God was calling me to this moment. And I just sat there. And I, I just shrank back in fear, and I felt, I felt angry, I felt sad, I felt remorseful, because I allowed fear to swallow up my faith in that moment. It was super painful, but I realized in that moment and later that I had come that place of routine, where I knew a lot about God, but my perspective seemed to be shrinking even though I knew more about Him. And these are a couple of simple examples of fear and faith. And obviously, there are situations rep- represented across this room that are way more complex. And God may be calling you onto the mission field, or maybe He's calling you to a different profession. And whatever that thing is, I believe some of you probably have thought about it instantly. Maybe God brought it to your mind, what He's calling you to, or maybe from, And for others, God wants to bring you to places in your life where He wants you to step out in faith because this is the essence of following an unseen God. Faith. But I now want to show you a more famous picture of faith versus fear in the Bible. And it's actually actually so famous. This picture is so famous, it's been immortalized in the book of Numbers, Psalms, the Prophets, the book of Hebrews. Corinthians, where the people of God have been absolutely immortalized in the scripture because of their fear and lack of faith. So get the picture here in Numbers 13 and 14. God has brought Moses and the people of God to the brink of the promised land to this place called Kadesh Barnea. And they have the law of God. They have Moses leading the way. They have 600,000 fighting men. And most importantly, They have the presence of God moving forward with them. They have absolutely everything they need to take the promised land. So the entire exodus from Egypt has led up to this moment as they're in Kadesh Barnea on the brink of the promised land. So let's look into our text and then I'll pray. I'll be reading from the ESV today. I'll be starting in chapter 13 verses 21 through 24. And we're going to skip around these two chapters. And I want to start by looking at the spies' tour of the land. And I, I want to point something out to you that should have given these guys great faith as they were spying out the land. Okay, so I'm, not a, I'm probably going to butcher some of these names. So if you guys are Old Testament scholars and I say some silly things, I'm so sorry. It's in advance because a lot of these things don't make sense to me. So verse 21 says, So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near lebo You See what I'm saying? 42. They went out to Negev and came to this place called Hebron. That's super important. And then this is where it falls apart. Amen, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. So this is them walking through the land. And they came to the valley of Eskel and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them and also brought some pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Escol because the clusters of the people of Israel cut down there. So you'll notice this from this little description, the land sounds like Pupukea, where we have giant clusters of grapes, pomegranates, and figs. The land is truly flowing with milk, and honey and you would think just by walking through the land they would be ready to take the land at that moment but beyond all this when they toured through the land they, they passed this place called hebron which should have ha- it should have triggered the faithfulness of god in their hearts and you can see most of the land from hebron it's about 20 miles south of jerusalem and it's a very important bible location and i want to show you why So back in Genesis chapter 13, Abraham and Lot separated, right? Because they had their people was too big, their flocks were too big, and Abraham basically says that famous verse: "If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go left, I'll go right." And you'll never guess where Abraham settles. He settles in Hebron, and this is the very place that God makes the promise to Abraham that he and all his descendants would possess this land. And this is before he even had Isaac. There's Barah, excuse me, his wife is barren at this point. Now these spies, the very descendants of Abraham before Isaac, are walking through the land that God had promised them. And it even gets actually more specific. Over in Genesis chapter 15, I want to share this verse with you that God spoke to Abraham. It says, and the Lord spoke to Abram. So this is before the name change. You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, speaking of Egypt, where they will be oppressed, as slave for 400 years. But I will punish that nation that will enslave them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth, speaking of the Exodus. As for you, speaking of Abraham, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. Look at this verse. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. They're in Hebron. They're walking through Hebron. The very people of God are walking through the land that God had promised them. You would think they would be on their faces worshiping at this point. Because this is the place where Abraham and Sarah were buried. This is the place where Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Leah, all buried here. They're walking through a land that they had only heard of and dreamed of in Egypt. They had God's word unfolding right before their eyes but despite all this we pick up the text after the spies checked out the land in verse 25 at the end of 40 days they returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran Kadesh they brought back a word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land and they told them we came to this land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Nagib, The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Then verse 30 says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw there are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the son of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. We seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. So in this account, we have a picture of two groups of spies that bring back a report to Moses and the people. You see, ten spies say that the land has people that are too great for us to overcome. And it's worth noting that these Nephilim that they're speaking of were known to be a giant Goliath-like people. But then Caleb and Joshua, despite the giants in the land, they rise up and they say, we can take the land. And what we have here in this little narrative is a picture of two different perspectives of the same God they serve. They're in the same experience, but they're seeing it differently from the way that they see their God. And don't miss this. It's not like God didn't know what was already in the land, right? But he brought them to this peak moment in their lives to see if they would trust his word and to see if they would step out in faith. And surely the odds were stacked against them. We know from archaeology that the Canaanite cities of the late Bronze Age were massive. And I actually read in this one commentary that some of the walls measured up to 24 feet wide. And I was sharing that with uh, my wife and she, she said, are you sure that's not tall? And I went back and checked the commentary and it said, why? That's, that's ridiculous. But what the people forgot, but what the people forgot was that they were going forward with the same God that brought the miraculous plagues on Egypt, the same God who, who had split the Red Sea right in half. They forgot a faithful God who gave them a promise. Notice how the people respond The whole congregation in chapter 14, excuse me, verses 1 through 4. What we have here is a portrait of fear. This is how they respond. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. And All the people Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And when you read this section of Scripture, you can't help but feel somewhat shocked in what they're saying. And and you see, they, they didn't believe God. They allowed unbelief to breed fear. Unbelief in our lives will always breed fear. Although they served this God who had shown Himself to them in so many powerful ways, they allowed fear to creep up into their hearts, and they allowed fear to control their actions. And not only was fear causing them to step away from faith, but we also see it made their decisions absolutely, completely Irrational. It says in verse 2, they decided among themselves that it would be better to die in Egypt. What? (laughs) To die in Egypt? To be brought to this moment of faith where God was doing this great thing among them. God had rescued them from this cycle of slavery for hundreds of years. And they're standing on the cusp of this exceedingly good land in a moment. In a moment, they allowed the greatness of their God to slip away to fear. And I think that we've got to be really careful here, right? To not judge these Israelites too harshly. Because essentially any time that we turn to sin, we're doing the same thing in our lives. See, God is, has delivered us from the slavery of sin. And for us to go back to those things which He has saved us from, is the same thing as going back to Egypt. But more specifically in this context, more specifically in this sermon, when we're brought to the edge of a difficult situation where you're being called to step back, called to step out in faith and to shrink back in fear in that moment is to neglect the grace and the greatness of God that has brought you to that very moment. You'll notice in verse three, they believe that God had brought them there to die. But in reality, it was the very grace and greatness of God that had brought them there to this very moment. And before I judged them too harshly, I thought surely that God had brought me to that gym locker room that day to die. If I would have stepped out, oh man, that's the way I felt. I was like, man, these guys are going to crush me right here. And the problem was, as I saw the giants in the locker room, but I didn't see the greatness. And in just a moment, just a moment, I disregarded the greatness of God that had brought me through so many things before. And you see, it's so easy, right? Anybody? It's so easy to forget where we've been with God in a moment of a situation that requires us to move forward in faith. So before we we view these Israelites too harshly, maybe we look at our own lives. We have given in to fear rather than stepping forward in faith. Let's look at verses 5 through 10. Caleb and Joshua's response, a portrait of faith. Oh man, this stokes me out. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the, all the assembly of the congregation. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they said to the congregation, to the people of Israel, The land which which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Verse 9. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. For they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So they're picking up stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to the people of Israel. And I love this. Here we have this beautiful picture of faith. And God's protecting them in the midst of it. Caleb and Joshua sum up the strength of their faith so simply And so rightly at the end of verse 9. Maybe you'll remember this today if you remember anything when you're pressed to a difficult situation this week. They said, the Lord is with us, do not fear them. They cried out to the entire congregation, the Lord is with us, do not fear them. This was the very base of Caleb and Joshua's faith. See, they they weren't afraid of the people in the land. They weren't afraid of the popular opinion. But they were only fearful of following God no matter where he went, wherever that took them. And this is what made Caleb and Joshua amazing men of God. They had the right perspective. And I believe this will be the same case in our lives if we can only maintain a continual right perspective of this infinite, all-consuming God. So... When we find ourselves in those, those difficult moments, it's so, it's so important to stop and think about the grace and the greatness of God that has, by His sovereign hand, brought you to this very moment. And the way you respond to different situations will always, don't miss it, will always reveal your perspective of God. You See, it's, it's just easier, right, to shrink back in faith, or shrink back in fear, excuse me, As these ten spies did. But the blessing and the abundance and the joy is in following God in faith. As only two of the twelve spies did. So, instead of receiving a blessing from God, we see something quite radically different. Look at verses 20-25. through Then the Lord said, so verses before this, Moses is interceding for the people of God again. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live, and all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, and none of the men who have seen my glory and my sights that I did in Egypt and the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my vase, vase, voice, excuse me shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. And then verse 24 says, But my servant Caleb, but my servant Caleb, but my servant, Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land into which he went, and he and all his descendants shall possess him. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley, here's the bomb, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. When you... This is an extremely heavy section of Scripture. And it actually goes on to say that eventually every man and woman of this generation, 20 and older, would die in the wilderness over the next 38 years. And it's really heartbreaking when you, when you pan out and you look at the entire scene, where you have the people of God on the brink of entering the promised land, but in fear... They missed out on the blessing of God. They decided among themselves that the risk was too great. And they allowed fear to consume and control them. So what do we do with this? Right. What, what, do we, what do we do with this? What does this mean for our lives? Does, does it really matter if we shrink back in fear? How important is it to respond to God's leading in faith? And as I was saying earlier... This section of Scripture found in Numbers has been used as a warning, right? To every generation to not be like these who turned back in fear. We see it in King David's day, in Psalm 95. For He is our God, we are the people He watches over, the flock under His care. If only you would listen to His voice today. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did in Meribah, as they did in Massa in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience. Even though they saw everything I did for 40 years, I was angry with them. I said, they are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my rest. We also see this in the early churches day. Same morning. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, the whole chapters are about this section. But he writes at the end of chapter 3. And who was it who rebelled against the God? A bunch of rhetorical questions. Even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, who corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter into his rest. Furthermore, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is basically summing up this entire generation's unbelief and disobedience. And he says this These things happened to them as examples for us, they were written down to warn us who live to the end of the age. So, with all that, I think it would be absolutely Foolish for us to think that an unbelieving, fearful heart doesn't have concrete consequences in our own lives. Uh, The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 actually says, my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. And then he goes on to write this entire discourse in chapter 11 about what faith looks like. It's often called the hall of faith. This is the verse that leads into that whole discourse. And you see, their continual unbelief towards God had reaped a serious consequence. And they just kind of wandered in the wilderness for the remainder of their lives. And I think it's a real danger for us to kind of wander through this life, right? Not ever really experiencing God's faithfulness. Not experiencing the blessing, the abundance, the joy of God. I think when God calls us to faith, it's it's so... Important to respond. So what God does instead, he, he raised up another generation who would follow him, to follow God to the promised land. With Caleb and Joshua leading the way, and I love this. It's a portrait of the faithful. And I want to end with this. Um actually over in Joshua chapter 14, we have uh Caleb, right? This is 45 years later. Caleb is now eighty-five years old. And they're now conquering the land. And look at what the faithful spirit of Caleb says. This is Caleb speaking. This guy, this cat is 85 years old, okay? That's what he said. I am strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, speaking of spying out the land. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. But then he says, so give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. He said, give it to me. You will remember that as scouts we found the descendants of Anak living there and the great walled towns, but the Lord is with me. I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. This guy's 85, guys. This guy is 85. This guy is crushing it. And then verse 13, he says, So Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and, and notice this, gave Hebron to him as his portion of the land. Huh. Oh, that's amazing. That's so cool. I found that. I just tripped out. That's so cool. See, God was faithful to His promise. All Caleb had to do was step out in faith. You see, Caleb had the right perspective of God that allowed him to live a life of faith and not controlled by fear. So in closing, my dear brothers and sisters, what's your perspective of God this morning? What's your perspective of God? Think about it this week. When you have that Kadesh Barnea moment in your life, what will you do? What will you do? How will you respond when God draws the line and he says, this is where I want to step forward in faith with you. What do you really believe about me? And God is always creating these little pockets where he brings us to these little Kadish or big Kadesh Barnea moments. And he just asks us, do you really believe me? What's your perspective? And as we say goodbye to August and Moses, I want to leave you with one more scripture of encouragement where God commissions Joshua to be courageous and faithful as Moses. was. And I think it's going to come up on the screen, but all the application is right here. Just let these words wash over you. Like hang on every moment. Just let them feed your soul. Go home and meditate on this, And notice that he meditated on the Lord. And that was a great part of his strength. Listen to this, guys. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5-9. through 9. God speaking. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause the people to inherit the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous being careful to do everything according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to what is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success have i not commanded you be strong and courageous do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the lord your god is with you wherever you go let's pray lord we we ask that you would fill this place now with your glory That you would begin to change our perspectives, even in this moment, as we so desperately just want to see your face, Jesus. We ask that you would change our hearts. We ask that you would forgive us of any apathy, of any sins, God. Would you just wash us now so that we can respond to you in a way that gives you much glory? We're desperate for your presence, God. We just ask, God, even we've known you for a long time, that you would change our perspective of who you are, God. It seemed like in my own life I had a greater perspective of you when I first came to you. And I pray that even now you would refresh that in my own heart, God, that you would increase my capacity to have faith. Would you give us great faith this morning? Would you anoint us as we go off this week to those 8 Barnea moments? Would you call us into faith? Would you bring us into a life with God that is full of joy and abundance? So we praise you this morning. And we give you all the honor and glory. The Lord is yours anyways. It's in Jesus Christ's holy, precious name. And all God's people said, Amen.